This is Network Zero, and we are on episode number three. And I am one of your regular hosts, Chris, and I am joined by tonight, David. Hello. Hello. And our topic for this episode, um, just so we're not just doing, going through every single core book anyway, because I need to go back through Remage yet, Mage Second Edition yet, um, is we'll go back and look at some of the, the more classic um, New Order Darkness, Chronicles of Darkness books and talk about them because they're all still really relevant. And so the topic for this episode is um, Inferno, which is, I think, uh, a favourite of um for chronicles of darkness and well what was uh, new world of darkness um so the plan with this is really to look at how you can make use of um of demons in your mortals games uh primarily uh because i don't think we've really got the time to go down the uh, rabbit hole of explaining all the nuances between demons and how they interact with the different powers of where rules which is but this should be really a good primer of ideas um which could then actually even lead into um you know main stories with a particular splat um so before we get into that uh let's think what's been going on then david we've had um gen con's been on a uh, gen yep. con's been and gone uh, um have you looked at the brochure i know uh Promethean, the created second edition. I think the PDF of that is out now. Yeah, the um, that that's the it's kind of like the the preview edition. So you can buy it as PDF. Um, it's a way of they'll collect collate all the errata, and then at which point they'll make all the corrections, and then at a later point, uh, print on demand will be available. So, so you that, usually get a uh, an updated version of the PDF as well once yeah, those pages are made. So. Yeah. Um, we've also got so Chronicles of Darkness Dark Heroes was out, Dark Heroes Companion is out. Uh Tales of the Dark Heroes is a anthology of short stories which ties in with Chronicles of Darkness Dark Heroes. So that's been announced. Uh we've also got, of course, coming up in the year still, that's been known for a while, is changing uh the lost second edition. We've got Hunter the Vigil 2nd Edition, we've known about that. Promethean the cre uh, Created 2nd Edition, which is just out now. Uh, we've got A Thousand Years of Night, which is for Vampire the Requiem, which is about how to play Elders uh, and you know how to play the tools that can help run Chronicles about Elders. Signs of Sorcery, which is a uh, it was originally titled Shards of Power, which covers physical and tangible expressions of magic. So sacraments, magical tools, grimoires, uh, the creation of archmages and more. So it's kind of like Sanctum and Sigil and Tome of Grimoires, I think, from first edition Mage the Awakening. Uh, Hurt Locker, which is uh, second edition for... Chronicles of Darkness, which is going to be um, is about combat and you know, getting how to represent violence in a in a way that's interesting, just rather than just you know, uh, running through the numbers and rolling the dice. Uh, we also have announced a few things. Um, we have Dice the Sin Eaters Second Edition, 
thank you. I cannot wait for that to come out because I've run my first session of Geist. I've got a few issues. My, one of my players had to drop out due to due to um, due to job life stuff. So I'm having to pause the chronicle while we get a new player in. But first experience of actually running Geist is great. So second edition will be great for that. We also have the crossover chronicle, which is a true chronicle that allows that feature. The main feature is that it features every, almost all splats of Chronicles of Darkness. Wow! So I don't. I mean, the last time you kind of had something like that was when they did um, the Chicago book for New World of Darkness. But that wasn't really true crossover. It's just that you had all three, the big three, vampire, mage, and werewolf, um, all in the one setting book. From what I can tell of this, what it's looking like is we'll have vampire, mage, werewolf. I'm going to guess looks like hunter and possibly, I don't know, maybe changeling or maybe something else involved. Um, so that'll be an interesting book. And then, of course... We have announced uh, the title for Deviant, so it's now Deviant the Renegades. I'm looking forward to this more than any other um, product uh, Onyx Path are putting out. I'm really, really interested to see what they do with it. Um, Dave Brookshaw's ideas in terms of the inspiration behind it. It's great, and I actually think that the... I've seen um, some people take issue with the subtitle, The Renegades, because it's quite often um, singular. Um, in terms of um, a Beast the Primordial, Vampire the Requiem, although Geist the Sin Eaters already had the plural. But I think that um, the Renegades gives a really clear sense of um, what the compelling story um, trajectory is um, for that game line. So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good game lines coming out. I mean, Change on Lost is in the hands of, uh, I think, David Hill's doing the development on that. And I think... Yes. Um, I don't have too many worries about that. There's a few things I've seen seen and heard on forums. Um, we'll see what the final version looks like. I mean, a lot of open development was done with it. I think... I think if they misstep with it, they there's a... Well, I think the fan base is is really strong for that game so they've got to live up to the first edition quite a lot um hunter the visual second edition um i think that's uh monica valentinelli i can never get her name right i'm so bad at that um so she's in charge of development of that that's good uh, slasher chronicles i think yes so That's yeah, right. I'm, I'm, uh, I think World of Darkness Slasher is one of the the strongest, alongside Inferno, of the new uh, World of Darkness um, uh, source books. And yeah, so if they're taking down that route, I'm also very, very interested in that. Yeah, because I mean, for me, Hunter just kind of expands the strength of Chronicles of Darkness, which is you know the Mortals level of things, and it yeah, it doesn't put too much extra in. You can play it still pretty much as Mortals. Um, it'll be interesting to read Promethean the Created because it, it'll be interesting to see how they've made the game more playable because it was often felt hampered in some ways. Um, again, there's possibly a s slight issue there because one of the features of one of the I say feature one of the one of the things in first edition Promethean was you could play as one of the Centimani, which were the kind of 
the Prometheans that didn't want to become human. They yeah. reveled in their inhumanity. And they experimented on themselves yeah. to become kind of physically monstrous as well. as. So I believe they're now... I have a feeling that they're possibly not playable anymore. I won't know until I read the book. You know, I need to... There's, I've got too many books. And I've got to read Mage first anyway. Um, so that's something I'll catch up on. I mean, Promethean I've always used as kind of a source of antagonist, but if it becomes more playable, that's good. But again, I don't want the danger of of the Centimani being you know, relegated to just being you know, uh, a cardboard cutout kind of villains and not nuanced um, in so, some ways. Yeah, I'd planned to start a Promethean Chronicle, but um, fell through for various reasons, including uh, finishing my PhD. Um, mm. But one of the one of the contradictions I wanted to set up, so the idea would be that uh, a group of Prometheans has um, been uh, helped out by... Um, a figure who may once have been a Promethean or just as sympathetic to them, but are driven out of uh, the city by the mob um, and basically go on the road and they hear stories. And it's loosely based on Clive Barker's Cabal, which became Nightbreed, of a place where the monsters can go and, and settle. Uh, and that that would be somewhere particularly desolate that's not populated um, and even though you would have uh, a wasteland growing, they wouldn't care. Um, and what I wanted to set up there is having various different factions, ones who argued that this was just staving off the inevitable, something awful was going to happen if they carried on, um, and others who would say, you know, humanity, if you rejected you, um, they don't want you. Why would you want to become one of them? Um, embrace what you are, your something different and that's that's not necessarily a problem so i wanted to have the sentiment is very much a kind of um a different school of thought to the the, the kind of overarching notion of the pilgrimage towards becoming human hmm. um yeah it'll it'll be interesting what they've done with that um i think he, they are introducing uh alchemists uh and they're going to be quite a big part of it so um, I think they take on the role of antagonists to a certain extent. Um, so humans who want um, to uh, draw on the power, I think the Azoth of the... Yeah, it's Azoth. The yeah. Well, so they're, Azoth they're, and Pyros, yeah. Um, and they're, they're essentially trying to hunt Prometheans. So as long as the alchemists have been made interesting and um, compelling, I think that they could they could function just as well as the Sintamani in some respects. It'll be interesting what they add in what the chronicle for uh, Geist of Sinitas will be. Um, it'll be a good book because, again, it'll you know, once you've got Geist and you've got Mage and you've got Werewolf, you pretty much have got the whole board covered on, um, on the other worlds, you know, the worlds beyond, because you've got the spirit world, the Hissel, which is like, you know, uh, the, the world of animistic uh, spirits. Uh, you've got Mage, which covers astral realms and the supernal, uh, and um, and that's more, you know, the 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 different levels of dreaming and how that reflects into our world and the the spirits that come from there, like the um, the Gotia, which is you know obviously uh, one type of demon, which we're not going to talk about today. Um, 
and uh, and then once you've got you know Geist in there, you know you've got you know you've got the underworld and you've got uh, the the lower depths, the autochthonous uh, depths and domains, and of course the wonderful the wonderful ghost known as Kerberoi. So once you've got those three books, you kind of you've covered a good amount of the other realms of Chronicles of Darkness. And I have to say, you know, having sorting out stuff for Geist. I feel Geist is is actually the best crossover chronicle because I think a Sin Eater can interact with quite a lot of characters quite well because you know everyone gets haunted by something, by you know someone they've killed or someone that they miss or they have some reason to go back into the underworld to plunder it for lost uh, for lost knowledge. So. Do we know I who's hope... developing the second edition of Guys? Not yet. We know it's not Dave Brookshaw because he corrected me on that one in person. But I wish he could do it, but he's got a lot on his plate. Um, it would be... Uh, you know, I have I have high hopes for that. Um, what else have we had going on then? So that's everything that's of interest for us from uh, Gen Con. Uh, other stuff will be talked about on Darker Days, I'm sure. Uh, we... Obviously, did our interview with Simon Berman uh, for Darker Days about the um, Strix Publishing and the uh, the book of artwork, which was by Jason Souls, and that got funded, which was good. Um, and then gaming wise, uh, what have we been doing? I've done. I played a big game of War Machine Hordes on Sunday, which was good. It was massive. Um, two players on each side, or two players on each side? Yeah. Um, it was kind of a draw in the end. Um, I think it was still kind of, uh, it was my third game with the new rules, but it was a large game. So it takes a while to get through stuff. Uh, and yeah, like I say, I ran the first session of Geist, which was quite enjoyable, but we're, you know, having to find a new player. So what I'm planning on doing is once we've got the new player in place and the new character in place, is we just retcon the the previous session and I write their character in where the previous character was and just assume their character was in there already and did all the same stuff and then we carry on as normal because I don't want to reset and reboot or assume that we lost the character for some weird reason. I'm just going to do a retcon because often that is the easiest thing to do. And in terms of getting Chronicles up and running and keeping them going, I think sometimes the easiest thing to do is also the right thing to do. Yeah, well, it means whatever plot you've established and and stuff is still valid, and the other players can just go, oh, well, your character did this, and then we did this, and then we did this, and then you did this, blah 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 blah, and it can already help that pl- that new player and new character feel embedded into the story. Um, but yeah, Geist, Geist would say felt kind of a bit relaxing to begin with because you don't have characters that need to go off and feed all the time and don't have to, uh, you know, it's kind of like Mage in that respect. I think Mage can be, you know, a bit more relaxing because you are still playing humans to an extent. Yeah. You're not like a wolf that has to go off and the wolf must hunt. You know, these are are poor people that see the dead all the time and have to tune it out. Um, and Paris seems a good setting. So uh, Mark, who um, plays in it, um, said he immediately felt in the zone for it because we watched um, Ghost Adve- the Ghost Adventures uh, special um, that was about the Paris catacombs called, I think it was called Necropolis? Yeah, 
Um, no, it was, what was it called? Um, it was called Netherworld or something like that, but you can find it online or, or something. Um, and he already had in his head a picture of what the uh, Paris catacombs looked like when we were running through the, the story. So, have you, have you seen the film As Above, So Below? Yeah, I think it's quite good, actually. <laughs> I really like it. Um, but, I mean, that that's a take on the, the catacombs, obviously, and then it goes down. It links quite nicely to the theme of uh, today's uh, episode, um, um, basically go through the catacombs and into hell. Yeah, yeah. Um, so gaming-wise for yourself, where you've been playing Dark Age, is that right? Um, I haven't been playing Dark Age. Been I've painting. been wanting to. I can't even paint Dark Age yet because at the moment there's um, been a real difficulty in getting hold of the miniatures in the UK. But I've been assured by the distributor who I've got in touch with. Um, I've been trying to get these figures since May um, that the uh, the issue is being resolved um, shortly. And um, so I'm looking forward to once the the figures start hitting uh the uk market um they've got two player uh starter sets out in november uh which looks like it's going to be um fantastic value for money and uh, and should be a good starting point i've got people down at my um local wargaming club who want to try it out and um i've been uh sharing pictures of um the shadowcast dragiri which uh, uh seem to have a kind of um it's difficult to describe them without just relying on lots of other um, IP, but there are elements in their design um, that are reminiscent of the Dark Eldar, the Drow, etc. And okay, um, yeah. they're very much based on uh, on fear and um, taking over enemy units and sneaking, and etc. So that, that looks really good. So in the meantime, I've been um, playing lots and lots of War Machine Mark III. Yeah. Um, and losing um but really enjoying it um uh i've so far lost to cricks i play as cricks uh retribution kador and legion of everblight um so I'm, I'm still kind of making the mental transition from uh mark two cricks which is very much um an infantry horde to mark three where i'm playing more war jacks than i ever have before it's great i like i like using more war beasts it's um with my gator men it was just full-on giant gators hilarious um the the last game i played on thursday i almost won and we it, there was a, a a misunderstanding of the terms of the scenario so we're having a a, a rematch on thursday uh, right. but i managed to get um death jack and a kraken um on a hill and put uh veil of ash on I think, or Cloak of Ash, sorry, on Death Jack, which takes them up to a ridiculously high defense and um, was working my way through the opponent's army. And it was incredibly satisfying um, to have Jacks that, you know, earned their points, um, which yes. didn't always happen with Cricks in um, Mark II, if I'm going to be honest. Um, I'm trying to think what else is interesting. So obviously I got my Kickstarter reward for Fallen Frontiers through and the miniatures are excellent um they are i would say that up there with kingdom death on um miniature quality and i think actually their resins might be superior to a certain oh, wow. extent um and they're 35 millimeter so they're a lot bigger like um so i had a picture uh, i put up on various places you know they stand the basic humans stand like a head taller than a gw figure 
and that means the the bigger non-humanoids stand a full you know 35 millimeter tall so like a a full two heads taller than like a space uh, gw space marine so they're not you know that's the thing it's like I'm, I'm keen on detail but i don't want it cluttered to the point where all you should where all you're going to do is paint and put a wash on it which is you know my opinion of gw stuff these days and certain other companies um can't be too busy yeah you've got to have some room to do a little bit of art on on like you know how you paint the armor plates and stuff um so let's actually get into our main topic as okay. always we've got, to, we've got to talk about gaming i think people enjoy us talking about gaming we're going to talk about iron kingdoms in future at some point um so inferno uh inferno came out a while ago uh let me just look at how long ago that was uh 2009 wow okay um so when i finished my phd when i finished my phd great um so inferno gives us a smorgasbord of how to treat demons of the inferno so the inferno is a distinct realm uh within the world of darkness cosmology it is a realm where all of our vices kind of become real in the sense that they give birth to and fuel and feed uh demons so the demons of the inferno could be considered to be akin to the demons of the abrahamic religions so obviously judaism islam and christianity but also you could easily equate the demons of the inferno to other religions through the associated lenses you know you could easily say they're demons of buddhism that they could be the demons of the thousand hells from uh from uh from chinese like uh what would it be that would be buddhism i think the thousand hells or is that with shinto i can't quite remember the difference between which one the thousand hells but i know it's that made that played a big feature in um that would have been like an in wraith the oblivion they used the thousand hells as a as the underworld of like the um, dark kingdom of jade. So, you know, if you want some ideas, you could always plumb, you know, plunder that book for what some of the, the demons of a different culture would look like. Just recast these ghosts as demons. Um, you could also link it to um, the uh, Michael Moorcock inspired chaos gods, the idea that, um, and it does state. Oh well. yes. Definitely. Not, not in those sense, but the idea that, um, rather than demons being um, created before humanity or having that that sort of um, relationship of jealousy of having been displaced, if we go back to Milton's Paradise Lost, of, of being um, no longer the, 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 the chosen, um, but instead demons are actually created by human vice, that before humans there were no demons. So demons are very much a product of humanity rather than something that's preying on it, um, which again I think is could be uh quite unsettling as a, a concept if you wanted to go down that route yes definitely yeah and that is a big feature of um what inferno gets into is really i guess um you know is the chicken and egg kind of scenario of of what a demon is and where do they come from um i think the first thing to say because obviously this is a new world of darkness book is that while it is for New World of Darkness, not Chronicles of Darkness, so it's first edition, uh, essentially. Um, I don't really think, rules-wise, 
it is it would be that difficult to um to switch over uh to the new rule set um because obviously demons in this book are presented as using the same rules as spirits and that means they use numina and if anything chronicles of darkness um has to an even greater uh, extent um created better systems to represent you know the the spirits and the spirit realms and their entities uh and that means you can plunder mage second edition and you can plunder werewolf second edition for ideas and of course when it comes out you can plunder guys second edition for for other things and we'll get into why that's most really relevant when we talk about in, uh, a certain bit in inferno um, I think the only things you would mostly have to be in particular aware of is um, switch is converting over vestments when you play the possessed, which is in a later chapter in, in Inferno, and also when um, I think dealing with um, just you know when you, when it talks about morality and how when a character drops in morality, how that impacts the evolution of a demon or how it impacts a possession. Um, you may want to reassess those rules in light of how the integrity rule system works. And maybe you're, you're more looking for particular breaking points. So maybe a regular break, you know, a normal breaking point for a human is one thing, but a, a breaking point that's more personal to a character may have greater impact on the evolution of the demon that's haunting that person. So that's just my general um, uh, opinion on how to convert over the system. Um, any other ideas there, David? Or does that sound pretty much um, <laughs> seem a concise way of approaching that? Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, um, I mean, the, the, the first chapter, I have to say the chapters in this book are incredibly long, uh, yes. 50, 60 pages, and you just think, is there actually going to be a, a chapter break at some point? Um, but there's a, a really extended discussion of what is the nature of an evil act and how do you differentiate an evil act from an immoral act. Um, and um, one of the suggestions that's made is that this is a discussion you have with the players beforehand um because you don't want to necessarily um get part way into a chronicle and and suggest well you did that as an evil act no it's not evil uh, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. highly pragmatic um because there is a, a major distinction between um just doing something that causes a drop in humanity um but you had no other choice and yes. doing something where you could have taken another action and you chose not to that's uh, a that, bit like that's a bit like dealing with players when you play Star Wars role play games and they want and they and the Jedi player uses the dark side but for good reasons. And so <laughs> it should you're like there's never a good reason for using the dark you you're calling on dark power. You had another choice and you chose to call upon it. If anything, that's more of a reason to go down the the, the dark side. Is that you 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 had you had a choice not to use it and you used it. So I think you're right with the the difference between an immoral choice because you're backed into a corner and you have to harm someone or do whatever that leads to possibly a better outcome and a greater outcome and and something that is good in the long term but you had no choice at the at the in the moment versus as you said like you just do it for the shits and giggles because you enjoy being 
horrible. I mean, to a certain extent, it, it's completely in keeping with Inferno to have a character um, who believes wholeheartedly that they're doing these things for the greater good. You know, the whole notion that the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, that, um, of course, you're going to make a pact with a demon, but you are aware that it's going to try and trick you. And, and the pact is about stopping something awful from happening. Um, but as long as the player is willing or at least aware that um, whatever the motivation, it's taking them down a certain path that the storyteller can then um, follow up with regards to, you know, there's a potential, as we'll get onto, for possession. So if someone sins, then they make themselves more open to possession that the character might become cursed or um, the demon uh, in, in terms of the way in which pacts are constructed. Demons are essentially like um, the best lawyers in town and that an occultist who knows how to summon and, and make a deal with a demon does not necessarily uh, understand the nature of subclauses, the exact phrasing thereof, and may think they're making a pact where they have the upper hand, but actually there is room for manoeuvre that the, the demon may turn it against them. So yeah, it would be, yes, as a Jedi, you can use the dark side for what you think is good, but at the same time, you've let the dark side into you and your character's going to start changing as a, um, as a consequence. Yeah, definitely. It, that's actually at the core of uh, Unhallowed Metropolis is exactly making those kind of uh, those um, choices. Um, okay, so let's... Where shall we start? Um, so I think the first chapter of this book is just a huge discussion about um, about the nature of where demons come from and what they are uh, to a certain extent and and how in this modern age why perhaps evil is you know why evil is one of these things where we we in this age we do have a choice not to engage we should have a choice not to engage in evil acts and yet people still do and it's it's those acts which empower or create uh you know demon spawn of some form which then comes to plague the world it also and... hammers home um that demons themselves are not necessarily very interesting that demons are interesting when they intersect with humans and human motivations um and so it's the idea of um being aware that any use of the infernal will be far richer if you can link that into um, the motivations of the characters. The demons find weaknesses and prey upon them as opposed to necessarily making fantastic antagonists. I don't really yeah. agree with that. Um, I think they they would be very um, they'd be very bland antagonists as they are because I mean it's just a it's just a mustache twirling you know obviously horrible thing with supernatural powers it's far more interesting to see how uh, and we'll talk about this with like with regards to our movie inspirations how you know the demon you know the the, the more the more dangerous demon is really the one that is the uh is the the shadowy manipulator which turns regular people against you and you don't you're unaware or unable to see the pattern in how who and how it's corrupting the world around you uh, until it's too late. By which point, yeah, sure, 
bring out the fully manifested demon from the hellmouth that has big horns and and a and a mouth full of you know ravenous teeth. But that's like you know that's 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 the payoff at the end of a chronicle or a story where the the characters are being plagued and hampered and even you know themselves haunted by uh, a demonic entity. Absolutely. Should we go over um, the different classes or types of demons? Um, yeah, I mean, so I mean, quite as, briefly, I look, guess. We'll go. Well, I'll just finish. Off. So the first chapter basically goes through the the different histories. So it has mentions of of whether they're dark gods or evil spirits. So it gets kind of the, to the root, you know, about how the ancient gods of the Celts were renamed as you know being demons. I mean, Sinanus was the horned god. Oh, he's now a demon. So you've got that kind of question. Um, there's a talk about uh, a Buddhism and how that relates to the poisoning of the mind, uh, which, because Buddhism doesn't really has a has a very different approach to things than Christianity, um, and of course it gets the idea of wh where evil comes from, and it relates to um, Zoroastrianism and the origin of duality and whether evil is an innate part of the universe or is something that has corrupted the universe and is an external thing. So, you know, it's all about defining, you know, what is evil? What is, where does this evil come from? And you don't really need to answer that question. It's just good things to think about because Chronicles of Darkness runs off mystery and, and no firm answers, I think is the best way to put it. And there's a little bit of discussion about how demons interact with other supernatural creatures in the world. Um, was there anything there you found quite interesting? Um, with regards to, uh, I mean, I can just touch on it because I know we don't want to go too yeah, far yeah. down that route. But yeah, so with relation to vampires, the chronicle that I just um, wrapped up recently where I was uh, playing a character who's in uh, the Order of Dracul and he's engaging with Belial's brood. Um, there were lots and lots of elements um, that that were brought to the fore. Um, vampires. Um, well, I think what's what's quite interesting is vampires are very much driven by um, not necessarily the sin, um, but they are inherently selfish in the way that demons are inherently selfish, um, and that there is some overlap between them. So in the 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 campaign I was playing in, um, it was based around the idea of l'enfant diabolique. So um, someone who uh, was um, in the distant past um, actually related to uh, Lucifer or Satan and to hell. And that um, at their coming of age, they get to choose whether or not to take the path of light or path of darkness. So very much like Nightwatch in that respect. Um, and rereading and, and going into more detail for this um for this episode i noticed so many things that that, that were in the the chronicle that i hadn't necessarily linked to the mythology so the idea that um you can make a gateway into hell but only through um extreme acts of degradation and desecration so the the, the finale of um the chronicle took place in a defiled church um, that uh, Bilal's brood had taken over, and they'd um, hung um, seven different people um, who represented the seven deadly sins, and that that was a way of opening uh, the gateway to hell. And uh, what's quite ominous for my character, because we might carry on with a new chronicle with the same characters, my character um, chose to walk into hell. He was someone who was driven by desire for knowledge, um, 
<clears throat> and reading about uh, how, generally speaking, um, the uh, hell is greedy. It takes things in and is very reluctant to let them back out again. Um, I've personally used um, a demon in Vampire the Requiem. So that was uh, in the second kind of season of the Chronicle. Uh, so it was, um, I think the characters, they uncovered a Mithraeum in Manchester. Okay. Uh, and so I think I think one of the characters, uh, basically, he thought he knew what he was doing, but didn't. And so got a whisperer that was pushing him to do things. And that's a big part. It's like, you know, in... In, and this is a big part in, in uh, the, with the circle of the crone and the way they approach spirits in general. Is I think vampires are best played like don't play them as always n- acting like they know how to summon spirits all the time. They don't. That you know the 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 cult the the circle of the crone is like a um, a recurrent kind of like cult that's cobbled together by vampires over various ages, and they create some mythology. So they don't really know what they're doing. And they might get lucky and work out a few rituals that work all the time. But, you know, I like that kind of like that trying to take that confidence in a player and screwing with them uh, with the with this demon. And eventually, I think it was in there in a, a final conflict um, with against a uh, uh, the cult of Mithras, who is a uh, is a, um, a vampiric order, which I have as kind of like a dark reflection of the Lancaire Sanctum. Um, he basically, I think he burnt like a, a Lancaire Sanctum church down and that was the the final um, element that allowed this Whisperer to become a full demon. Uh, so yeah, you can use, you know, in Vampire, I think there's a lot, lot of places you can use it. And of course, when you tie that in with the Strix, um, you've got a lot of confusion that could happen. Um, because the Strix can possess people, and so can demons. So uh, you never know what you could be dealing with. So that's a good way of injecting some mystery back in when the players are thinking, oh, it's the Strix again. No, it isn't. It's something else. Um, Absolutely. So that's good fun. Obviously, werewolf, lots of um, stuff there to do with the male djinn and to do with um, wounds in the world. Um then you've also got with mage, you've got the whole stuff to do with the Akamoth and the creatures of the uh, of the abyss. So that's Abyssal Intruders. Um, so that's a good book to look at. Is in is uh, Intruders. Uh, I think that's the one that was called from first edition. Um, and again, you can you can muck around with mages about what they know and what they don't know, because uh, again, demons are very similar to the Gotier as well, which are demons of the internal personal soul uh which they make real so they can extract um a vice from themselves and externalize it yeah uh so you've got all of that and then you get into everything else uh like you know demons how do demons relate to the fae because the fae are kind of quite demonic and weird um and then you've also got the um the quishalim uh which you know you could say, and definitely not the Inferno, um, but can do horrible, you know, cause horrible things to happen when they create chaos. So there's a lot in there. And I think the bit this all leads up to is there's a lot of discussion about how you create your demonic hierarchy, or at least you begin to define what your demon antagonist is 
in some way you know is it a member of a hierarchy what is its mythology uh does does it have secret names is it waiting to be given a secret name uh which is important when we talk about whisperers um does it have a testament which is essentially does it have a, a magical sigil which represents it and titles that are important when you want to summon it? Is the testament also a, a kind of the, the history or mythology of that particular demon? No. Um, I thought it, no, was a, it was a combination of the two. It's a testament intertwines, uh, is a lengthy description of the demon uh, and its titles, the sigils used to summon it and its ability. So it's kind of like... It's a it's a really full description of what a demon is, um, which could also be a thought if it if you think about it. Because a demon's true name, even though when you write it down, you may call it, you know, Azazel. Um, the actual name is more of a is more of a, a thought, which once you've written it down, is almost it's almost like a uh, uh, a memetic virus. You know, you you. You have you finally know what this demon's true name is, and it's an image of you know uh, a land of of rotting carcasses, and above you is a a sky of of purple you know of purple clouds filled with uh, unseen stars and the screams of of a billion souls. You know that is the name of a demon. But once you write it down as a as a name, you give it a name you feel represents that thought form but then when someone else reads that name it almost as if the the thought that you had is passed on to them so there's a weird there's an interesting thing where these names these secret names can be written down passed on and then a person can actually then redefine what the true name of a demon is by redefining what that thought form is in in a word form so uh, for example, the demons pre you know, can have pr previous names of like Asmodi or or, or Belphegor. They give us examples, but you know, it changes from a cultist to, to a cultist as they write more about this demon and they define more aspects of it, which of course are all terrible things to do because as you define a demon, as you give it titles and give it more names and and all these other things, you're actually giving it more power. Um, so that's all good fun. Um, was there anything else there that stuck out for you, David, with um, with the whole thing to do with tomes and testaments and the background of your demons? Um, cults, I think, okay. um, are particularly interesting. So um, again, if we say that um, demons themselves don't necessarily make the best antagonists, uh, a cult that has its own purpose, its own end game, that uh, worships or um, has made a deal with a demon, um, that they are involved in writing its testament, that they are giving it greater and greater power, um, I think is a, a really nice way of um, removing a sense in which the demons could be very abstract. So it could all, you know, um, in a Call of Cthulhu sense, library use um, and, uh, and research and find the details out. Whereas if you've got a living cult, maybe a, a more current one, that you have to interact with in order to gain any knowledge of the demon. I think that that again would make it um, far richer in terms of source material for a chronicle. I would also be careful with using a demon and how you represent how a demon may bestow um, blessings and powers onto its followers because uh, 
I would be very aware that a I would I would be kind of keen to make the type of things that an infernal demon uh, a demon of the inferno would would give its followers if it does give its followers any form of blessing or powers be a lot more insidious in nature as a not so obvious power yeah um, which relate to the vices because uh, I don't know if you've ever read Second Sight from uh, first edition New Order Darkness Chronicles mm-hmm. of Darkness. So, uh, so that covers, you know, how to play. Uh, it's got various rules for um, fallen magic users. So, magic that isn't mages. So, you know, it could be considered hedge wizards, uh, hedge wizardry. Um, and it also has like rules for psionics and psychics and mediums and all those other things, which don't really fit a particular single splat because you're human, except for this one very specific power. Okay. Um, but at the back of that, it has rules for cults of creatures of of eldritch entities, and they are eldritch entities that do give their cults, you know, very Lovecraftian kind of features. So, like the person that the very bloated old man that runs this cult, when he you finally face him, he rips open his shirt, and actually his belly ha- is is a is a you know, a slathering more ready to gobble someone up, that kind of weird mutation. Um, so I would keep that kind of stuff for the really crazy kind of eldritch Lovecraftian entities of the outer dark and and abyssal entities or, or even maybe, you know, um, kind of mostly fits kind of some of the weirdness of, um, of the god machine. Where you get that kind of weird, you know, the 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 evil of the the weird evil paranormal stuff that happens at the very edge of science, where science becomes magic and magic becomes science. Um, so would, some, something quite alien about all of those examples. Yeah, I, I, and, and look, it's very much about an, a kind of an alien think, mythos. Whereas I think Inferno needs to be much more human and personal. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, for instance, um, things like um, great skill at manipulating the stock market, um, longevity, um, uh, various things that would allow a character to be um, seen in public, interact with people um, in a way that that, um, someone with a gigantic maw for a stomach uh, would struggle. Um, or, yeah, I would also maybe say if you've got a character that has like the second sight ability or like a mage uh, who clearly can detect magic um, or maybe say even a changeling that is at the very limit of their um, their clarity so they can more perceive the magic in the world is that maybe those are the types of characters that are more likely out of the corner of their eye can see the corruption of a person so they, so features of them do look demonic but for, you know, for that split second, that's how I would do it. It's it's got to be a lot more undercover. So if we think to the Devil's Advocate, there's that one yes. scene, that one one image of um, uh, the uh, the women um, who are actually demons in in human form, and um, when you see for a second their faces, and then it, they they snap back to looking exactly as they did before. I think that yeah, that's actually far more 
powerful and disturbing than if they were walking around like that constantly. Yeah. Um, okay, so what else have we got about cults? Um, there's some discussion about how you construct their beliefs, um, which I guess is interesting given that, you know, that kind of fits with the idea that some entities would attach themselves to modern um, mythos, you know, that's created, which again kind of goes back to kind of the Lovecraftian thing, I guess, because Lovecraft is kind of a modern mythos. Um, so that's kind of fun there. Div, um, uh, for a, a modern um, secret society that links yeah. to one of the seven sins um, a demon can attach itself to. And it, it also talks about having um, pre-existing cults that a demon that has not, that have nothing to do with, with demons. They might be a, um, you know, a secret society. And then the demon as a whisperer starts influencing and corrupting them and turning them into a cult um, for its benefit. And that then leads into the fact that sometimes some of these cults may be, in fact, cults that are um, nurtured and and uh, cultivated by some supernatural creature like a vampire, and those are obviously ripe for a demon, uh, you know, in the in the form of a whisperer again to to move in and set up shop as the uh, as the puppet master of uh, the. In the case of a vampire, a, a definitely self-assured creature that thinks it's on top, but actually is not. Um, so that's all good fun. So essentially, uh, uh, I mean, we'll get onto this, I guess, but the Whisperer um, wants to feed on the indulgence of sin, and the more it can influence that, the greater um, it, the power it can derive from it. So a Whisperer doesn't actually necessarily care if anyone is aware of what it's doing um you know the vampire might think that it's just their beast speaking to them or that these are ideas that it's come to as opposed to another source is making a deal with it or manipulating it in some way definitely and given the way certain certain um supernatural races uh uh have also the ability for like you know kind of um psychic project projection of thoughts you know because the Invictus obviously have elders that are quite able to manipulate their underlings from a distance. Again, that's open. That's an open season for a whisperer to kind of move in and and you know and play the role of the I'm the master telling you telling you things to do, when actually it isn't. And the the poor vampire thinks he's acting on behalf of his um, of his lord and. Uh, is in fact helping this whisperer become more of a uh, more powerful demon. I was thinking as well with um, uh, to go back to Beast of Primordial uh, for a second that the um, the complete conviction that what they're doing is right and um, that there's nothing um, morally compromising about it or compromised um, would actually potentially make them um, very uh, open to whisperers um, feeding from them. So a lot of what they do is very much tends to be um, quite spiteful or maybe based on envy or, um, you know, even the notion of pride, the idea that you know a, a beast can't be wrong. What could be more prideful? Yeah, I know. It's it, then that makes it a bit difficult because the problem there with, be with beast is that mortal souls being gobbled up. So then you've got the question of can a mortal soul can a, sorry, can a soul that's no longer mortal, because 
a kind of person that is actually now just a vessel for uh, for a not for an inhuman spiritual entity, which is the beast, uh, which is this the not you know that nightmare entity that lives lives in the um, this other realm. Are uh, is any act of theirs actually in any way? enable an act of sin because they're not human anymore and clearly demons feed off off the sins of things which are human or to an extent still human and when i say that still have an element of a more of a human soul so i feel quite confident that a demon a whisperer can can feed off the sin feed off the lust greed wrath whatever of a vampire yes vampires are just a, a, a soul that's bent out of shape and it's got um and part of and part of it has either been eaten or been turned into the beast you know it's been poisoned essentially a mage definitely you know they may think they're enlightened but they're 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 prone to hubris so imagine if that's how that manifests in sin well god help them a werewolf well they're a conjoined weird human spirit werewolf soul thing combined together but i would say they're still they can give birth to humans so they're still innately human in some way i would feel um yeah and there are demons that can um take possession of spirits so even that the spirit aspect of them is not necessarily um free from, from yeah. being open to being taken over by A brief aside there in werewolf it always makes the point that in the in the hissel you never see spirits of humans yes okay so surely then is the inferno the actual place are are they are the the, the demons of the inferno are they actually the spirits are created of human souls of humans so we get fractured into all these different spiritual reflections that represent all our vices that's a a really nihilistic uh, take you could um, use if you want to well, go down a Thomas Ligotti route. Well, if you if you go with the classic um, duality of the soul that you get from uh, from Eastern uh, uh, philosophies of the Hung and Po, the upper and lower soul, the animalistic soul, and the more uh, the thoughtful soul. You know, then that means you know the the lower animalistic soul is the demon is the bit that becomes goes off and becomes a demon, and that has some merit in what kindred of the east is all about if you ever go for classic water darkness but anyway so then the question is where does the upper the higher part go to does that go to the go to the supernal realms or does it go to heaven or does it go to the where the quashillum come from the the uh, what's it called the quashillum come from a realm the principle um the other thing is let's think is, is, there, a is there a heaven well that's we don't water know darkness. Uh, no, we so don't so even from reading the book, there's still very, very hazy. There's definitely an inferno, but um, there's no... There's the supernal realms, and then there's also the principle, which is a place where the where you know Pyros comes from and is the above the supernal, if if we um, think about it. Um, They're quite alien in comparison to uh, conceptualizations of heaven. Um, yes. So yeah, if there is somewhere else that would be, if it's the the reversal of uh, of hell and it's where the, the virtues of, of humanity go, um, then you would still have a very clearly identifiable 
human aspect to it. Um, yeah, I'm just going to say, what else was I going to say? So geists are still human. They have a human soul. So they're definitely up for, you know, up for committing sin. Uh, changelings are still up for committing sin. Just their soul is, you know, got torn, torn to shreds and then put back together. Prometheans, I'm going to go yes, because they're a proto-human soul. Um, yes, so the idea is that, um, yeah, they're a kind of maybe a human soul in the making and the pilgrimage is refining themselves to the point where they can become human. Yeah. Uh, mummy, again, I would say yes, because I think the soul of a one of the Risen is actually very similar to the soul of one of the uh, Promethean, because both entities are created creatures, uh, you know, patchwork from other beings in some respects, and their souls have been, you know, the, in, in one respect, a mummy is trying to remember what it was, and a, a Promethean is trying to grow it. So there's some similarity between the two lines there, which would be interesting to explore. I think, uh, with, yeah, with, with Mummy, I can imagine, um, again, thinking um, back to Planescape Torment, but perhaps if, um, your, as your memory returns, you realise all the awful sins you've committed. Exactly. You're then open. Yeah, yeah. And your character. Um, and demon, well, let's be honest. I don't think one of the. Um, I don't think. Uh, maybe I don't know. That could be an interesting one. One of the one of the um, one one of the demons in Demon the Descent. Would they be capable of sitting? I guess if they they're around long enough and begin to act more and more like they're a human. But then possibly. it becomes a matter of: is it the human soul that's necessary, or is it the the sin so the intentional um decision to to commit an immoral act i would say with a demon possibly possibly they could because remember they they um if they've taken other cover uh taken other covers which are again a patchwork kind of like patchwork souls that that kind of mask their demonic nature underneath and they can do a pact as well where they, yeah. they basically consume the human um yeah so Probably quite an interesting grey area to explore. Yeah. Okay. Um, demons have a few abilities, don't they? Um, they do. They have some nice universal abilities. They have an aura of corruption. Um, so that's pretty much what it is. You know, you it means you can also you've got an ability of kind of detecting their presence, um, and they have the ability to speak all languages. So again, like the uh, demons in Demon the Descent. Uh, they have a soul of sin, which means they uh, they understand their vice uh, perfectly, and they have a malpraxis, which uh, is related to their vices. They can basically uh, tell perfect lies, uh, which is fine. There's nothing special there. They can just tell perfect lies, which is good for them. It doesn't mean they have to lie all the time. It just means they use that ability... To their to their advantage, and the, the, they that also the case with demons in in demon descent that they yes you can never tell if they're lying. No supernatural yeah. power will allow you to detect. And yeah, keeper of secrets means you can't tell if they're lying or not. So um, those are all fun traits. So again, there's some. It's interesting how how demons of the inferno and demons of demon the descent are are uh, similar. 
Um, and then, of course, they've got a few traits, like they, they, um, they don't have a virtual vice, they have a malpraxis, which is tied to a vice. So malpraxis has a few keys. So it's kind of like you, you choose a vice of one of the seven sins, and then you choose a key which can also which can be something elemental in nature, situational, uh, institutional, victims or subjects. So the example they give is um, uh, the malpractice of wrath in the night. So this demon is about violence in the dark of night time. Or for example, there's another one which is the malpractice of sloth and labor, which means um, it's about making about the sin of sloth to the point though that it means its victims end up penniless and losing their jobs um and so the malpraxis is the thing which a a, a demon is essentially cultivating to become more powerful because they will gain slowly dots in in their vices and other keys to have more abilities but there is at least one vice and one key which they initially kind of start off with um so that's all good fun. I like the idea of like you know again combining vice with key. That kind of feels a bit like Geist the Senitas, where you're kind where you're combining um, a, a particular manifestation with a particular key. I think it also makes it much uh, more amenable, open to uh, integrating into a chronicle. Yeah. Um, if you just had um, oh this demon feeds on pride or wrath, then you could say every time there's combat the demon is, is is feeding on it by giving the key i think is actually um the way of locking it in and giving the the demon uh, a sense of it, an individuality um because that's something that the book is quite keen to convey that although there are certain types of demons um you don't want to give the sense that um there are millions of demons all around and you just happen to come to the attention of one you want to give it a sense of an identity um, of something um, that you have to engage with that's not just a, a kind of um, a kind of minor splat but it, it has its own set of objectives so as, uh, although the malapraxis is quite a uh, simplistic in, in that respect so but the idea of um, you know uh, how about sloth in relation to lovers um, how would you manifest that? And, and you have to think through the ways in which you could come up with scenarios um, that would allow that to play out in ways that would be meaningful in terms of narrative. Mm. Um, let's see, what else we got? We've got um, the ways that demons can then use influence so much like spirits that they they have a measure of influence and that can be um that represents something which they have the ability to manipulate and reach out to while not having to rely on numina and again you've got depending upon how a demon reaches out that kind of gives it a classification so if it's elemental in nature you've got the it, uh, the Amundi, if it's cons if it reaches out and manipulates things that are more conceptual in nature, they're deceptors. And if they reach out and manipulate things that are more historical in nature, they're called larvals. But that really means you're relating whether a demon is um, is possessing a place or an object, so it's elemental in nature, or it's possessing a spirit of some form, which makes it a deceptor. 
or if it's possessing a ghost. So demons can possess ghosts and fuse with them, and they're called larvals. Um, and and I really like that, yeah. Yeah, the idea that uh, someone who's made a pact with a demon, um, one of the ways in which you can collect its side of the bargain is when the person dies, their ghost becomes the larval, and that's the way the demon takes form. And this is really good because that's where you can look into how you can use those in a Mortals game. So if you really want to add some mystery to the game and never give any good firm answers on what's going on and add some extra new things. So say you're playing a group that are you know, your typical ghost facers, ghost busters, ghost adventurers or whatever, whichever TV series you've been watching of of reality ghost hunting. Um, <laughs> and there are many. Um, maybe it's most haunted. Yeah, so say you're playing a vet fielding, you're running through a, uh, <laughs> a haunted house. Um, you don't know what type of, you think it's a ghost, and you're doing, is anybody there? And you, know, it start, you hear this knocking and it's tapping at the wall. Well, is it a ghost? Or it could be, or is it Derek Acor? Um, or is it, <laughs> or is it actually, you know, again a spiritual entity that's possessed by a demon? Or is it a, you know, a demonic spirit, or something else? You know, there's a lot of ways you can use this to really add a lot of mystery into games. So there are there are no easy boxes that you can do in in a game that can really make playing a Mortals game of paranormal investigators really quite fun and and harrowing and uh you know you think you know what the answer is at the end but you're really never going to know because you don't know what your storyteller's actually using that that particular uh, game um okay so the rules for influencing uh, the material world we've that's again this is where we start saying you can mostly replace all this with what's in uh mage or um or werewolf, uh, and the same with the numina. You could, I think, most of these you could convert straight over. Looking at them, I think there isn't too much there. You might want to rebalance things, but again, you know, these are going to be NPCs, so just be aware that something might be a little bit more powerful than you expect because of the ways you know the rules have changed. Um, it might reference um, traits that don't exist anymore, uh, for example. <laughs> That's always a bad thing when you go from one edition to another. But in the in the most part, I think all these numina for um for demons are applicable. In terms of possession, is there a uh, an equivalent? There is. There are firm okay. rules on how spirits can possess. So, I would, I would look towards how, uh, how the how the ridden uh, are created in Werewolf Second Edition. And go from there and start and add in and look at how how inferno talks about it and add in the extra elements that make it easier for a demon of the inferno to possess someone so obviously it's going to be a person that is tied to a particular sin and and doing uh, evil acts makes someone more eligible for possession in a very different way to how a spirit of the hissel is going to find someone easy to possess um which really leads us to, and of course, the other powers have got vestments and other things, but we, it really leads us to, um, I think, the main thing, which is Whisperers. So, um, David, do you want to tell us about Whisperers? 
Okay, yeah, so whisperers are essentially tied to um, uh, a particular individual. Um, the, the section on them describes them as the weakest demons. So they've got very, very limited influence on, um, on the, the, the world around them. But what they can do is influence an individual to act in certain ways that feed them. Um, so a whisperer is essentially, um, if you can imagine, you know, the, the image of the, the devil sat upon the shoulder suggesting uh, taking the worst course of action or the most selfish course of action. Um, and what they are attempting to do with this overall is um, to gain an infernal rank. And um, they are described, I believe, as um, desperately seeking a secret name. They don't have them in the way that that, that demons of, of high infernal rank have. And so um, there are, I think, three ways in which they can um, transcend or, or, or gain an infernal rank. And uh, if I just bring it up here. So the most straightforward way for a whisperer to evolve is to drive its victim to sin. Every evil act also increases, increases its resistance to exorcism. So interestingly, um, we'll talk about the possessed later, but the whisperers um, can be considered to be a form of, uh, would you agree, Chris? It's more of a sense of someone being haunted by something than, than possessed. Yes, definitely. Um, so the more evil uh, the, the host, as they're described, um, or you could say that anger, maybe to use a, a more ghostly terminology, um, then um, basically, it becomes eventually uh, a rank one dominion, um, which is um, a demon in its own right. Um, it can also have uh, what's called occult exaltation. If its victim is an occultist, the whisperer can urge her to name, define, and empower it. Demonologists are split between the idea that the host creates a metaphysical image for the demon to inhabit. This is um, going back to what we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, and the belief that the Whisperer merely teaches Hell's secrets. So whether or not um, the name is, is entirely created by um, the occultist or whether the Whisperer tells them the name or, or suggests a name that then takes on power. Um, so um, basically, um, this in mechanical terms results to a, a role in um, creating an infernal testament. Um, and in terms of successes, um, we've got um, at the lowest level, um, just makes it easier to do it in future, but um, 15 plus successes um, uh, basically allows you to take on two infernal ranks, two numiners, um, and one new malapraxis. So um, they can gain in power that way. But all of these things are through the actions of others. So they're very much limited to um, the weakness or susceptibility of the human um, to uh, furthering their own goals. They don't really have an enormous uh, degree of power. Um, and I think the third one, which leads us on to Diabli, um, basically a diabolical union. They can um, latch onto a supernatural being. Um, they have... Uh, the knowledge to transform a whisperer into a powerful dominion, but some of them can summon spirits with which the whisperer is capable of merging. So um, the spirit, um, the whisperer can um, merge with the spirit in order 
to become a uh, Diaboli, which is, um, I'll, I'll hand over the battle on to you now, Chris, um, but they're the um, uh, ghosts that have become possessed by the demonic. Um, so Diaboli are, yeah, they, they're, they're ghosts and, well, spirits and ghosts that carry a, um, the, you know, being taken over by the demons. In some respects, then, they're kind of similar to the Magath of Werewolf, where you've had two spirits fused together, two very different spirits that fuse together, creating some alien uh, kind of creature. And in that respect, also kind of similar to um, to Geists, even, because Geists are you know, part ghost, and they've also partly redefined themselves to kind of like a, a spirit of death that's also a ghost. Um, the thing I was going to say about whisperers, what the the interesting thing about whisperers is that they're not always new, de- you know, new things wanting to become demons. Um, there's a lot of discussion that because greater, we'll say greater demons, as if they're like a lord of you know, lord of change or a cornate, whatever, bloodthirsty, uh, bloodthirsty, yeah, but but you know, more powerful demons that exist in hell or or are in danger of being banished to hell can drop back to being a whisperer for their own safety so that so they, they, it's more easy to conceal themselves and it's also a, a, again another route through it to increase their power so you can have demons reach out across the threshold as a whisperer to then allow them a gateway into our world and to increase their own power um and sometimes pretend that they're whisperers um, when they actually have far more power so that the occultist yes. who thinks they know what they're dealing with and um, that they're in control um, will get a very nasty surprise. further. Or even line. a whisperer of a, of a lesser demon can be sent out to help guide an occultist, summon um, its lord demon master, which could be an even greater demon. So there's a lot of fun things with that. And of course, whisperers can do things like, you know, have numerous abilities to uh, deceive the person they're attached to and create false memories and shape the world around them so they actually you know so they shoot someone when they actually think it's say an intruder in their home so and, the and they can dial- influence um dreams as well um hmm. but it's all very subtle um, are you, are you're not allowed to show uh, the to change the dream to be something that the individual would not have thought of themselves you can just shift it slightly shift the emphasis yes so as we said the diaboli uh, are um a fusion of demon with ghost or with spirit um and i guess that where that makes things interesting it gives you kind of a, a an interesting mixture of of abilities and and themes that you can use so again it's like you think it's a ghost of your an old you know uh, ancestor or something but it's actually you know under the mask it's this uh creature of sin um but of course not all all um spiritual entities will become diaboli because obviously ghosts so not all ghosts are actually horrible selfish creatures not all spirits are causing uh terror and trauma and and uh destruction in the world so not all of these will, you know, will be, are good candidates for creating diaboli. Um, I guess perhaps Gotia then in the astral realm and also other thought forms that are 
evil thoughts that exist in the dream world uh, in the dream worlds are good candidates for uh, demonic possession, which then gets kind of weird. I guess you could go really go to some some strange places where you take an uh, you take the idea of a nightmare of some form, and it is the nightmare itself that gets that has a form in the dream world that gets possessed by a demon and comes into our world. Uh, so that could be a Freddy Krueger in some respects. Um, uh, they could get very abstract as well. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of, as I say, there's a lot of uncertainty with these. Um, and they explain that good good potential for, if you want some ideas for evil ghosts, there's the Dibuks and the Gaki. Of, so Gaki are Japanese. Dibuks are, are Hebrew ghosts. And that relates to the, the film The Possession, which is about the Dibuk box. We actually watched the... Um, What's it? The spin-off series from Ghost Adventures is Deadly Possessions, where they actually had the Dibuk box on the show, which was interesting. Um, I can imagine. And you've also got other spiritual entities you could think of is Tulpas, which are from Buddhism. Uh, so again, Tulpas are creatures created by thought. Uh, so, and that gets us finally to the different types. So we've got Deceptors, which are demons created of co concepts that, from the astral realm, sinful thoughts, basically, or nightmares that are possessed by demons. The Amundi, which are our shadow spirits, our spirits of the hissel. So that could be a. The example is an Amundus of a toxic waste dump. Oh, That's I did kind quite of like that. Yeah, that example. So it wasn't just the. I think, do they come back to this later? The idea that um, it's not just. Um, so the you know a toxic waste dump you wouldn't necessarily think is a sin it's it's a corruption of the natural world but they talk about the greed of the person yeah that who, led to the action yeah yeah because uh, and, dumping the waste meant they could make a bigger profit and as we said we've got larvals which we've already said with the dibuks and um and uh gaki so I think the three the larvals are the most interesting to me they're one of the immediately most useful but i mean depending upon your game all of those are incredibly useful for again adding that extra bit of of um mystery into your game you know you you think in geist you're dealing with with an evil just a ghost that's lashing out because it's it's a it's one of the uh restless dead and then actually you know it's something far more sinister uh, that you're facing. So in most terms, I think they describe the fact that, you know, you're just using the same rules for, you know, ghosts and, and spirits, but you've got the additional abilities of demons on top. And they can, of course, evolve and they can transform themselves. So the examples are that um, they can... They can fetter themselves to a location, so they, that becomes a malus loci, which is... So that makes sense, because, you know, ghosts have anchors to the world, which is a place. It could be a person or an object, for example. An object's a good one, like uh, the classic haunted objects like Robert the Doll. Um, and Or they can fall back to being a whisper, which is good. So they can then evolve and change themselves again. So, you know, just about... You know, when they're about to be destroyed, they've done what they wanted to do as a goat, as a as a, a larval. They could fall back to being a whisper, and then evolve into something different, which I, is annoying. Annoying, <laughs> but also I think 
that that's one of the most compelling story elements to have something that's that's shifting and it's it's hard to actually pin down um and keeps recurring in different forms um i think it's potentially could irritate your players it might be quite difficult to balance but i think if you got it right that could be a, a very compelling way of linking um a chronicle together and then we've also got the you know they can transcend as we said before through sin or they can get an occult exaltation and what we get to next then is dominions which are apparently are true demons so uh david do you want to tell us about dominions well um i have to say reading this section it kind of feels as though um there's a, a tacit acknowledgement that dominions of the three that you can interact with are perhaps the least interesting. And that um, with regards to um, how they interact with the players, yes, you can see them in um, in their true demonic, I think, hell form. Um, but quite often they do interact through um, taking on the form of whisperers um, whether that's actually becoming whisperers or pretending to be. Um, I think the one section that I, I thought was particularly um, memorable um, is this idea that um, they want to get out of hell. Um, the idea that hell is horrible even for demons. So um, uh, there's a line here, even demons hate hell. The realms above are where real power lies. Hell is already corrupt. Uh, dominions can't thrive there any more than a mortal could if he's forced to eat his own shit to survive. So mm. there's actually, there's a, I mean, it's a kind of um, reminds me of sort of Trent Reznor lyric, um, but um, you know, kind of a, a scatological imagery there. But um, this may be the way to make Dominions interesting if they had um, a, a motivation that wasn't just, oh, I want to be evil, but. Um, maybe they're being tortured in hell by something more powerful and they want to, to get out. So they either take on the form of a whisperer or send a whisperer out, convince a um, uh, an occultist to summon them in order to escape hell. Um, I mean, is there a possibility there of an NPC that, that isn't just entirely negative? Um, I don't think so, to be no. honest. No, I mean, it's interesting to think about the demons want to escape hell, but I, I would say that the, the reason, like, if hell is, you know, fueled by the essence that comes from sin, just as spirits and the hissel is, is the essence of, of just the um, primal wild, um, then... The way I would think about it is hell is possibly where sin goes to once it's been processed, regurgitated, eaten again, and shat out. You know, it's it's got the taste of it, but it has no nourishment. So it's more of a sense of wanting um, more refined food. Yeah, and you could think about that in the sense that it represents the difference that of what the realm of the inferno is to the fallen world in the same way that the 
the supernal uh, the supernal realm of pandemonium is like. So, uh, people that aren't aware of Mage the Awakening, Mage Awakening, there are five sup uh, supernal realms from which magic comes down into our reality. That's drawn down through the Watchtowers through symbology. One of these is related to the Mastagos Mages who face demons. But these are de but these are demons in a very different sense. These are demons that are that hold you back from your potential. They are the whole point is that these are demons that test you. The demons are not about evil or good. They're about trial and tribulation and sacrifice. Therefore, it's considered that if the that if the realm of the Fey realm of Arcadia is the fallen reflection of the the supernal realm of Arcadia then the same could possibly be said about the Inferno to Pandemonium, much as the Underworld is then the fallen reflection of um, of uh, Stygia, which is a supernal realm of death and matter. So there are links to Mage. You could, again, you could say that you know, reality emanates from the supernal realms, is made real in our world, empowers it, creates things, creates more things, because our realm also creates enough magic and essence to power the eldritch entity known as the god machine but after all of that all that all that stuff filters down to these other realms and is the 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 remnants of it it has some of the taste some of the flavor but it's just not as succulent as coming up here and taking it for yourself which is why you know the fey the fey themselves come into our realm to steal away people to take to arcadia and why Ghosts, ghosts are, are hungry to come back to our world and and obviously require people to remember them and possibly why demons want to come up and take stuff uh take you know sin in its purest form how that obviously relates to the duat and mummy uh i guess is also reflected in that energy emanates from our world into relics which are taken into the duat by mummies um yeah so, so it makes a bit of sense. I think it makes sense why demons want to come up and play with us. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just wondering, maybe uh, in that sense, um, could you have uh, a demon, a dominion um, that is um, maybe a, uh, a, a sort of tortured soul that wants to escape? Could you use these rules? I don't see why not, because obviously you can create gateways to hell. Someone could be dragged into hell by whatever infernal act they've done. They could be the ghost. You know, you know when these the 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 larvals, yeah. maybe in that very last moment, because by being possessed, um, so much essence is now in the ghostly form that the larval now also remember has more sentience again. So it's not just a a, a, a ghostly repeater in that sense. You know, just doing a few actions because of what memories have in the world have held strong. It's actually back to its full sense of a person. It just has no control. It's a it's the backseat passenger to this insane driver that's living on and feasting on gluttony. And in that action of being, say, uh, sent to hell, finally the demon sent to hell, the the ghost and thus maybe the soul is taken all the way to hell. And in that place, that that ghost is then tortured and, and in turn turned into a demon. So you could then have um, yeah, something that's maybe escaped hell and a chronicle, not necessarily for a, a player character, but you could have players assisting 
something from trying to avoid being dragged back. Well, yeah, that, that would be interesting if there is things that would that are eager to drag demons back. I that would be an interesting thing. That, that that gets us to the question: is is there some sort of you know Satan, Lucifer, gatekeeper, torturer? You know, jailer kind of uh, kind of concept. In, I mean, they in they they do hint at that. I mean, one thing maybe um, in terms of the way in which you could interact with them in the world is is slightly limited. But they do talk about there being hierarchies within hell. Um, you know, there's that there is a table that that yeah. builds up to you know you have lesser demons, greater demons, arc demons, dukes of hell, and at the um, the top you've got the adversary. So, yeah, I think you could totally, uh, I think this would make demons far more interesting of having that idea of maybe um, a, a demon. If demons are supposedly um, rebel angels, you know, is it inconceivable that a demon might rebel against the, the hierarchy of hell? Yeah, I mean, it, it gives you at least some sort of plot hook for playing a game where you are one of the possessed. And, play, and playing one of the possessed in, in a story. Because you'd be eager to, obviously, you know, revel in sin, but at the same time, you don't want to sin too hard that you, you light up like a, like a, a freaking lighthouse and, and they come to, to cart you off back to hell. Um, and I guess there's the, the, this is where possibly the crossover happens and why it may be a good thing to look at for that type of thing is um, the the translation guide for demon the descent and demon the fallen so demon the fallen is a classic world of darkness game which is yeah. biblical demons um that have been let loose on on uh, the world and you've got a difference between you've got the demons that want to just remain in the world you've got the demons that um want to obviously take heaven and storm it and you've got the other ones, I think, that kind of just generally hate them, hate what they are and just want to forget it all and destroy each other or something. But you've also got other other types of demons, like you've got the the Earthbound, which are another type of demon that was never locked away in, in hell. And you also get the whole thing. I think Lucifer, Lucifer in that setting never went to hell. He was the gatekeeper and he actually fears all the other demons or something like that. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm... Interesting. I presume maybe at some point we'll get a twentieth anniversary of Demon the Fallen. Yeah, more than likely. Um, With regards to Dominions, I mean, this is—I I really do rate um, Inferno as one of the best um, uh, World of Darkness books um, that I've read. Um, but with regards to Dominions, I feel that you know, there's, there's the manifestations of them and the way they're described doesn't really go much beyond what what's already discussed with in relation to whisperers and and diaboli and i would have liked something a little bit more distinctive so you've got the defilers they poison places or corrupt them okay but what what what's different about them being a dominion as opposed to uh what's interesting is if you look at the list of defilers nemesis slayers subverses and tempters yeah they almost reads like the same shopping list in Beast, Beast the Primordial. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Intriguing. Um, because, you know, the, the Slayers, these Dominions kill as often as they can. Um, sophisticated demons look down upon Slayers because a dead soul isn't a damn soul. It just, I don't know. I, I feel that um, 
maybe this is when, when you come to the point of having um, a demon with as little human connection as possible becomes less less compelling less interesting as an antagonist but I, I would say that the dominions are probably the, the the part of the book that i felt was weakest yeah um okay because we're not almost at the end of this little gone through the, the first chapter of interesting things there's that's a bit how about, long this chapter is yeah there's there's a whole load of there's a it kind of ends with like desecrated places and malice loci so this is all about places that are you know literally locations that get possessed by demons because it become a demonic fetter these also could relate to um things you could use in mage werewolf and the auto will call them worms nests so you know just these can be places of power of spiritual power of essence uh you know which thus can as a demon takes hold of it can use it and pervert it to its own causes but generally it's only going to take a place though which is itself already has some level of desecration that's occurred there so we're talking about a worm's nest or a or or a werewolf loci possibly that already is a wound in reality you know it's already had like murder happen there so much that negative essence bleeds through into the world Um, interestingly though it fades over time so yeah um, for for a place to retain its um it's kind of uh desecrated or evil essence um more acts have to be carried out there so i think that then links to the idea of a um uh, a diabli um taking on um a, a being anchored in a place but then is encouraging and, and manipulating whoever enters the place or comes near that place to continue to feed it because otherwise if it's just left for um i think there's a, a chart somewhere about um whether it's one year two years 20 years 50 years mm-hmm. depending on the the level of uh, of evil done again that that creates uh, a, a plot device that you would need to find ways in which that can happen So carrying on, ah, let's okay, breather. So that was a massive, massive section. I think this is the thing with this book: unpacking chapter one takes a lot. But once you've done it, you can run with everything, and you get tons of ideas. So chapter two is simply systems, and we're not going to delve too much on this because it's systems. But essentially, about it's got some ideas for how you go about summoning demons and uh, how a character goes about it. The reasons for why they do it, generally because either A, the person thinks they can do it and they're awesome and they can summon demons and control it, what a fool, or B, they're very desperate and it's a last resort and they go to summoning a demon because they need something with power so they can gain control in the world somehow. And then, of course, it rolls on with the fact of how does a character go about researching this um, and the fact that they have to you know, get the attention of a demon. It may not be the demon they're actually hoping to summon. If they've researched a particular demon, they may not have all the facts and summon a very different demon. And then eventually you get to the last bit where they kind of have to negotiate with the demon once it's been summoned about what the demon's going to do, what they're going to give in return. 
etc 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 whether they, you know what type of sacrifices they have to make and uh it's at least there's at least a good mechanics of going through it and i think this all translates to chronicles of darkness fairly well and there's some examples uh of of this it also gets into the idea of accidental summonings um where you know you could be following some sort of ritual or you may accidentally complete some ritual that could have been part completed and you do the last thing which is like spilling blood or or um you know or some other act of vice um which leads to uh the ritual being completed and this uh spiritual entity uh finally breaching uh into our world so um in that respect uh hellraiser would be a good example oh yeah the puzzle box is like you know classic accidental summoning uh which is solving the puzzle you wouldn't think something so simple as knowing how to open a box would open the way to hell um or to a, a, Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, of course, the other things that can lead to summoning is the fact that you could be, by nature, inherently able to summon demons because you're cursed by some means, which, again, is kind of a bit Hellraiser, if you consider Hellraiser 3, with, you know, making being able to make the puzzle boxes then. Um, and, of course, you've got Whisperers, which you know, help instruct people to do so. But of course, core of all this is once you've summoned a demon, you're going to have to make a pact with it in order to hope, hopefully control it. And there's a lot of examples here of think pacts you can make depending upon the sin that the demon's connected to. And of course, the thing to keep in mind is a demon is a perfect lawyer and is going to do the least amount of work for the most amount of gain. Um, I don't think there's much more to cover on that because there's, there's a lot of good systems here, which I think, and, and examples anyway, which can be translated over. The question is really, are you going to use these as as plot hooks and story dingus type stuff? Or is a character, an actual player character, going to do this? And those are two very different scenarios. I'd also be tempted to to be quite picky in terms of what which mechanics you actually use. Because I think it goes in the next chapter we're going to cover with God's possession. So, you know, if um, it, it's an integral part of the chronicle that um, a demon is summoned and, uh, and a pact is made, um, you know, potentially just role play it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in the game I was in, um, my character um, used someone else's ritual that had been um, conducted. To be able to speak to the demon that they'd summoned, um, but that was very much done without rolling dice, uh, particularly. Mm. It, it really depends on you know. It, are the mechanics helping the story? Are they necessary? I think some of this, yes, and some of it um, potentially not. I, I think mainly think about if, for instance, um, the the act of summoning or, or forming a pact. Um, think about what could happen if they failed the roles and is that interesting yeah um yeah you really got to think about how the mechanics really interface with the story and what you're trying to do and if it's you know the something is an integral part as you said about of the story itself not just you know something not, you could do 
yeah, without really thinking about the impact on the story itself. Um, there's a list of artifacts then later, which is just kind of items which are being touched by demonic, you know, power. Um, they're kind of cool, but like, I mean, it's just, they're just things um, that allow you to do more sin, really. That's basically it. And then we get on to what I would say is the main, the last main chapter, because everything after that is kind of exam demons and example characters, really, and so forth, is the possessed. Yeah. So the possessed covers people who in some way have invited a demon to possess them. Either they wanted it to happen or they were uh, the perfect host. So you've got examples of the chosen, uh, then you've got the hopeless, uh, the hateful. So these are people that, you know, are powered by a particular sin. Um, the innocent, which is someone that is so, when it says innocent, is a person that is unaware of how evil the world is and so naive that they they think demons don't exist and they're the perfect person because they have no real mental will to defend against these alien entities. You've got the mad and, you know, because obviously, um, because... I mean, again, if you're going to go with the mad, let's right. Let's do a big disclaimer on this because this is possibly the most overused trope in cinema that involves demons and demon possession. Is oh look, who's being possessed in this film? Why it's the it's the young woman who's clearly mad. Like, I think there could be a lot more nuance in there, and I think it could be a, a much more powerful story about about how unfortunate mental health can open you up to to the predations of these alien entities and that the people around them don't realize that the person that's acting out isn't doing it because of the unfortunate health that they are in psychologically it's because they have been maybe looking to be helped for so long that they became in turn helpless and were thus open to demonic possession I think that's maybe more powerful than just doing, oh, look, it's the crazy girl that's possessed and she's doing the weird, you know, doing the weird poses and so forth. I think that's that's overused in cinema. Also, I'm I'm somewhat uncomfortable with this association of madness and evil. Um, the, the idea that, that someone um, who has a mental health condition is, is somehow um, more prone to, to be connected to the demonic than than those who aren't so i i did like um the suggestion that instead of going down that trope um having someone um for instance who had schizophrenia um who's been battling demons trying to um tell them to do things that that they knew were wrong so long that the demon they're they're unusually resilient towards demons um and i think that I mean, that could be quite an interesting way of, if you wanted to um, go down the route of, of using characters who are, you know, conceptualized as mad, that isn't just, as you say, quite um, tired by now. Yeah, there's there's too many tired, tired tropes of that one. Um, selfish, oh, that makes sense. Um, so really, it's all people that, you know, generally are sinners in some way, or because you, know, you could consider the innocent to also be prideful, prideful in the sense that they believe the world is simpler than it is, and there is no supernatural entities. Um, and really, all we get then is a lot of mechanics behind it. And I think uh, if we quickly 
look at this. I think again, I don't think there's really any need to 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 do the roles about resisting possession. I don't think that that serves any because if you're going to play a character that's going to be possessed, I think you as a character as a player have already made the the you you've already made the concept of the character as being possessed and that's what you're looking at exploring is how you how you how this character exists in the world of dark in you know the world of darkness in this world or whatever your world of darkness is so i think even though they've given roles for resisting possession i don't think they're they're not they shouldn't be always used they should be used at the right moments in a in a game like if you're playing a vampire that is resisting possession from a demon sure do that because that's not what you want to play you're playing a vampire character but if you're playing if you want to play one of the possessed then you're asking a very different question about whether you even need to consider rolling to resist you really don't need to um it's quite interesting in that sense though of, um if you're playing a character who's possessed um is your character the human who's possessed or the demon that's doing the possessing or both I think at that point you're possibly playing a character that's more like playing a sin eater, where you've got, you know, you've got the two the question, souls in one body. Yeah, and the question is whether the demon is is driving or the person's driving, and maybe they're both driving and enjoying the ride together and the company. Um, <laughs> uh, and you could then also look at how you could possibly play a game that's almost generational, and I'm gonna. I think you could also, in which case you could look at um, how a particular demon has possessed different people over time. I think Sam's written some stuff like this about a demon that has different hosts. So you could look at that and have each host in a different time period, maybe. So you could look at how sin has evolved over time. And that could be a fun kind of concept to, to go through. In which case then... You're you're asking different things of the possessed character in each time frame and of the demon itself. Um, so the demon is the connecting factor, but each yeah. of those characters would have their own take on that. Yeah, that character type, and that, that links to one of the films um, you suggested we we discuss, which is Fallen. Yeah, uh, and the idea of a demon um, in Fallen, the demon can um, hop between bodies incredibly easily. Uh, bewilderingly so um but mm. maybe something that's 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 harder in terms of possession as opposed to just touch someone and then yes. they're possessed um that would be a nightmare um as a storyteller to uh keep track of um but that idea of um yeah maybe having a chronicle about the way in which um you know as you start playing the characters at a certain point in their life the demon takes possession of them um, and then you follow them along until it makes that leap into the next generation. So the possessed template, so basically a character is the same as always, and this is where I'm going to suggest some things for Chronicles of Darkness. Uh, possessed template, what's interesting that you would have to do? Um, so you gain dots in each vice. Um, in some respects, again, I think you could gain some ideas from like werewolf and how renown works, maybe. So that you've got different types of renown. There's five types that relates to each of the auspices. So maybe you've got now seven types of renown, which is actually kind of like your vi ratings in vices. 
Um, but I think in general, most of it can be converted over. I think there just has to be some thought put into how you treat, um, how you deal with morality and integrity. Uh, so again, you might want to consider um, the, was it Harmony in Werewolf? Or perhaps maybe when the second edition Geist comes out, maybe take some idea from from synergy, and that you know the higher the synergy is, the better in keeping the two souls are together, less antagonistic, and the lower they're more competing. Um, I know there's so I think you'd have to do a bit of work there to get it to work with the new system. But again, like you, you could just play first edition World of Darkness, uh, new World of Darkness, and just use everything as is which is fine. Um, the main powers are vestments, and I, I think we just get a smorgasbord of different powers, don't we? Yeah. Yes. So they're not really any real rankings in, in stuff. You just get lots of... Um, oh, no, they have got dots, but you just get lots of different... Um, oh, vestments are classed under innate and lesser and greater... They've got dot ratings and they're attached to a particular sin. So obviously, in that respect, they are very much like um, like gifts in Werewolf. So again, look at Werewolf Second Edition. That might give you some ideas on how to convert it over. And I think that actually is the most I can say about the systems in this. There's a lot of nice ideas for powers, and you could mostly get some more from Demon the Descent. Could mostly give you some ideas for some other example vestments um and one thing that occurred to me is um in what sort of chronicle could a player player possessed character um, because it makes sense when you think about an individual character but what would the how would the other characters interact with that possessed person uh it's difficult you could play possessed in a you could possibly play possessed in a uh a game may be hard. I mean, you it would be assuming that the possessed was able to hide their nature from from the mages. Um, so that's a that's a that's a hard thing. A possessed with a Promethean? Mm, interesting. Possessed with Sin Eaters? A uh, bit more difficult, possibly. Possessed with Demon the Descent? Yeah, that, that looks like an interesting weird fit. Um, I think vampire, um, yes. Ratchet, I think would, would be um, so. Say if you had a a Belial's brood group um, that you could have someone as either a possessed vampire or even a possessed human who is um, considered to be exalted because of their their demonic connections, their infernal rank. Well, a possessed human is a nice way of getting the equivalent type of character to a ghoul that has more autonomy. Because you know they can look after a vampire, their their vampire coterie during the day, and yet also they've got powers. And you know if you're a bunch of of um, vampires, uh, you might kind of be a bit squeamish at what this possessed guy does sometimes. But you might turn a blind eye, and the demon may well get off on that. The fact that you turn a blind eye to it doing sin, uh, in whatever form. So I think there's there's and also with. With Belial's brood, um, because they, well, we won't go too far into that um, because I think that could be its own episode. But um, because they revere demons, um, there's a potential to have that kind of ghoul relationship, but without um, 
not just dependency, but maybe more of a sense of um, of equals. Mm-hmm. That the vampires might not see the 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 possessed as as being beneath them or a servant; they're an ally. Yeah, and you could mostly do the same thing if you're playing the um, the uh, what are they? The pure tribes in Werewolf again. I think they would be potent would see one of the possessed as a potential ally, uh, possibly. Um, and the last thing really to say about the possessed, I was going to say, is um, that's interesting. Is that if they tap some of their higher powers too much, that eventually they burn out their body, which I kind of like the feeling of. That's again kind of, kind of like Demon the Descent has going loud and you know burning off one of, burning off one of your covers. Again, Demons of the Inferno could literally wear out the the person that they've possessed. Have you seen Supernatural? Yeah, um, it, it, it's well and truly. Um... I think they're on, is it season 12 now? Ugh. It doesn't, it did not need to be that long. But one of the, um, in an earlier season, um, when it was still uh, far more watchable, um, they had um, a character play the vessel of Lucifer, but yeah. it wasn't the chosen vessel. So he started deteriorating. His skin began to break down and he looked like he had a kind of degenerative disease. And, and maybe... Um, you know, if you were playing a character um, and you did use your powers um, as as you use them more and more, you could you could maybe have elements of um, I'm thinking like a a David Cronenberg esque um, the you know the body starting to break down, something like the fly. Um, so that I think there's loads of room for some uh, kind of corporeal representations of that that spiritual corruption. Definitely. Um... I think that's where we should leave it with the books. The rest is all kind of there's a lot of story hooks and everything, and uh, and and seeds and ideas and how to storytell playing the possessed. But I think we've covered a good amount of that. Yeah. So let's talk about films at last. <laughs> yes. Okay, so we had a good list of, of films we thought that were relevant to demons in Chronicles of Darkness. Um, let me see where's our list um when it pops up where is it why is it not popping up in my there's devil yep um i avoided watching this film for a while because um the uh the post um the entirety of the film took place in the elevator um and although the majority of the film does take place in, in the elevator, I think it's a far, far, far more interesting film um, than the trailer suggested. Um, so you initially recommended this to me. So what yeah. was it about Devil that, that you liked? Um, I think it represents kind of the 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 question of like, you've got a, in a very confined space, um, a very kind of tight plot. Uh, a representation of a of a demon going about. Or I, I would say it's a good example of a demon looking for transcendence. If you don't play the Lucifer angle of it, you could look at it as a demon looking for transcendence by going through these particular examples of its sin until it gets to the final, like ultimate sacrifice, and it's looking for that to be done so it can have its infernal uh, transcendence and. It's, I just kind of, it, that just seemed to resonate quite 
well with what we have in Inferno. I think that ties together quite well. Absolutely. It's, it's very much about um, in preying on people's insecurities in order to push them towards sinning. Um, but until the end of the film, you're not entirely sure how it's doing it or, mm. or why it's doing it. Um, I think that it, I, the, the moment where you see the demon um, and the body it's possessing and you see the demon um, become angry are overall, I would say it's, it's less of a horror film and more of a thriller. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. But, but I do think there are a couple of moments that are genuinely disturbing and mm. I think that that representation of a kind of uh, sort of controlled malice and like the, the control slips for a moment and mm. you just get this glimpse of, of, of hell or, or um, the damnation of this thing and then it brings it back under control. Um, so, yeah, maybe Devil would be an example if you're engaging with, say, um, an arc demon or something um, very, very powerful and but the way it wants to gain power is not through um, forcibly possessing someone. It's actually about pushing them to sin further and further to the point where they belong to it. Yeah, which which makes it more of a whisperer in, in what we've looked at so far in that sense. Yeah. Um, so I think, I mean, that's what I would go go look at that film for for ideas on that i wouldn't i don't want to talk about it too much more to give away anything but there are i think it's 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 not i think it's it's a pretty decent film out of um and it's fairly novel i think in some respects it has elements similar to to what we'll say about fallen but i think it's a it's somewhat more engaging than fallen i think fallen has issues that will or it's not it's not the greatest film, but we'll get to that one in a moment. Uh, what have we it got also next? reminded oh, me a little bit of um, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm, yeah, okay. so that, that kind of paranoia that, you know, who is the demon? Um, and before you realise there's a demon, um, you know, who is the, the killer? Who is the, the, the person that, that can't be trusted? You could easily use it as an example of doing a one-shot um, of a game and almost kind of like a murder mystery yeah it very much is um a a, a uh, it's a murder mystery in an incredibly confined space where you would think it'd be impossible to do that yeah um okay so let's move on constantine okay so we've had so this is we'll go with the movie version of uh, john constantine yep um what stands out about this one? Um, so I would say initially we've got quite a few good examples of demons in various different forms. So you get kind of like the way, um, the way uh, I can't think of, her, of the character's name. Rachel uh, Rachel Weiss's character is almost could also you could say is being played by a whisperer. Um, you've also got the, the you know the other demons and also kind of angels you can consider examples of the possessed um i really and... like the the image of hell that they possess. Yes. um and i think that one of the the key elements to using inferno in a way that is genuinely uh chilling and uh engaging as opposed to a kind of um camp horror 
um, is the way in which demons are presented. And there are some, the, the artwork for the most part, I would say, is, is very good in Inferno. Um, but I think that, you know, the cloven hoof, um, horn demon, it's going to be very difficult to sell to, to yeah. players as something that, that's disturbing. Whereas in Constantine, you've got the with essentially what appears to be uh, where the brain would be hollowed out. Um, and mm. there's a, a kind of, if you can convey a sense of uh, damnation, but also um, alienation um, and kind of, yeah, uh, suffering. I, what I would link this to, it's not actually on our list of films, but um, is the depiction of the demonic in um, the film of Silent Hill. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, which I I have to say, huge video game player. Um, I grew up um, absolutely devoured every game I, I could come across. The vast majority of video game to film adaptations are atrociously bad. Um, mm. But I, I would say that Silent Hill is the first that I've seen that really captures the atmosphere of of the game it's based on um i i i enjoyed it far more than i expected to um, I think and i problem, think that the i was sorry. gonna say the problem with silent hill uh the film is it's visually good um the problem is it, the plot is clearly just doing run here collect this object run there collect that object <laughs> at one point and it's just like yeah it, it's kind of just a bit too video gamey i think they could have they could have done a lot more with it, but uh... it's it's a weird one because it depends how you you assess it. So, in terms of uh, what we want from a, a conventional narrative film, um, problems with it, but an attempt to capture the essence of what playing the game was like as a film, um, I think it balances the the, the kind of plot and game elements quite well but mm -hmm. it's a weird kind of experience and i don't know whether um i don't know what it would be like to watch that film having not played the game i think if we're going to talk about brief well if we mention something like i would say the better one to think of in relation to inferno is silent hill 2 um because that is actually generally all the the main player character that you you have and the other characters you meet are all dealing with a particular kind of uh, haunted by a particular sin that they've done. And I think that's a bit more compelling. Um, I think Silent Hill 1 doesn't quite have that because it has the whole thing about this reborn, um, the reborn uh, character. And um, yeah, I, I think Silent Hill 2 has got a, a, a plot that's more, um, that lends itself better to Inferno. I think Silent Hill 2 is also the best Silent yes. Hill game that's been made, and it will probably never be beaten. Um, I was quite interested in the prospect of Silent Hills, but unfortunately that's... Um, that I don't know whether that project is in, may be restarted again. I don't know. We'll see. There's there's always rumours. Um, is there anything else to say about Constantine? I mean, um, visually it's good. I like, obviously, I, I kind of like the way John Constantine's able to like do exorcisms, because he's cool. Yeah, and I, I, I actually Keanu Reeves comes in for a, a lot of criticism in terms of his range as an actor, but I, I think that he puts in a really good performance for Constantine. I think that um, 
I think it's 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 probably my favorite film uh, in terms of his performance that I've seen. And um, yeah, the, the, there's an element of I'd say the most Chronicles of Darkness element of of the film is that um, he occupies a very um, morally ambiguous world. Yeah, um, that John Constantine is a character who is at once damned but also has redemptive qualities and i think that um taking away maybe some of um the kind of focus on a single character but i think that's something that you could bring across into a mortals game perhaps i'm also told to make a point that balthazar is an awesome demon in that film <laughs> he's a he's a he's a brilliant bastard and um and papa midnight is uh also awesome as a character i think he's done really well in that film and um, the Perfect Circle song, uh, oh, Passive, yeah. which was um, used for the film, is, is one of my favourites. So um, so move on to Fallen. Yeah. Which so, you have issues with. I, I would say it's just... Um, I mean, it, it's a good idea. I just think... It, okay, uh, actually, I'll say what... There's, there's good things about Fallen, there's bad things. I think bad things is generally pacing and, and so forth and... And I think they could be a bit more interesting. As you said, like the demons seem to hop around really easily. So so in Fallen, we have a demon uh, which is able to, to body hop. And where the police initially thought it's a copycat murderer, a copycat serial killer, it's actually this demon doing the same thing in the, in an, in the same city again. Uh, it seems like for kicks, really, just to show that it's better than humans and better than these certain uh police of uh police detectives um but I just and, think... and the... go on itself is actually exactly what demons are in inferno it's mm. a selfish spiteful um petty arrogant being that that yeah that just absolutely revels in sin and wants to drag people down um you know that that kind of is that you know, for all its problems that that is what the, the the demons of inferno are yeah i just i just think the pacing is a bit off um it gets a bit slow I think in the, paces yeah and i think the ability to i mean it's a great scene where it's hopping from body to body and he doesn't know where to look but i think that the the ease with which the demon um passes from body to body kind of creates a sense of well how on earth can you ever stop this? Um, yeah. And I think yeah. that, that that's where the mechanics for possession would become useful. Um, so if it was attempting to move from NPC to NPC, for instance, because otherwise if you can just hop with the, you know, like I think all it requires in that film is a touch. Yeah. Um, and when it's outside the body and it's desperate, it can project itself something like a mile in any direction to possess something. So I think that that that's kind of problematic. Um, wanting to give any spoilers, the end of a film. I, I, whilst I love um, Rolling Stone's "Sympathy for the Devil," <laughs> it's yeah, Interview of a Vampire had already done it. It just felt a kind of uh, a bit too obvious. The other thing to say about Fallen is it is because obviously it was only, I've only watched it properly recently in the lead up to doing this. And it became so obvious where Supernatural cribbed everything for how it did 
does its demons. It's oh, yeah. so obvious. It's just like, oh right, okay, you know, it's it's that. It's just, uh but I think I give it, so. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the Rolling Stones song. It keeps singing. Time is on my side. Um, um, but giving a demon, if you're going to have a character that possesses other characters, give it something that is um, clearly identifiable. Um, so in Supernatural, one of the things I thought they did really well. Do you remember Alistair, who was the Hell's chief torturer? Oh yeah, um, that he had a lisp. And everyone he possessed took on that lisp. Um, and so having the song that the demon sings, um, I, I like that. I, I think it prevents it from feeling like, um, you know, if we go back to John Carpenter's a thing, so something with, with no real person, just a, a malevolent spirit. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but I think having some kind of, yeah, element that you'd be able to get. Oh, okay, so this is the same demon, as opposed to just I have no idea what's going on. Mm. No, I think a quirk is important. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, starry eyes. Uh, yes, um, is awesome. Now I don't know whether it's okay. I'm going to start with this. It's a great film. I don't think it's a great story for. How let's say. It's a great prelude if you're going to play a possessed character. Yes. So it's good ideas there. It's a great example of an antagonistic cult about to do something to someone. And you are and you slowly... So this could be a background plot in your chronicle that you slowly become aware that there's this poor person being manipulated, harassed, etc., etc., until they're, they're prime for possession. So, and, that, and that's when, at which point, you know, the background plot becomes the core story in your chronicle at that point. So you can have this going on in the background for a few stories and then it becomes the main thing. So yeah. that's how I would use it. So Starry Eyes, I really don't want to say too much about it, but it is basically uh, a poor woman is eventually driven, driven to the point that she is prime for possession and then you you see that transformation and well, yeah, I mean, it's a innocent. Yeah. Sam's telling, Sam's telling me she's not innocent. She jumps at the chance. So, but they, it's kind of like they're making her ready to make that jump and that she's aware that she wants to make that jump. And the very early on though, because it's, it's quite a, a heavy handed metaphor for Hollywood. And, oh and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The way in which it, the, it turns them into a commodity, but, um, I guess that you've got this really interesting um, juxtaposition on the one hand, yeah, is it greed or pride that leads her to do it? But on the other hand, just, you know, it's not just this cult, the entirety of the society in which she's operating. There's this whole notion that if you don't make it, you've essentially failed as a human being and your life is over. And those kinds of pressures... um, allow a cult like that to operate um so that the the cult is its own thing but it's very much embedded in um the whole hollywood system and society so i think that that's again quite a good plot hook so it's not a case of uh, a system in which people are treated fairly um a meritocracy uh, in which um, people are remunerated in a way that is um fair and equitable 
it's an already really problematic system in which uh, a cult can feed um, on these desires, feed on these anxieties. Which is then maybe a good plot, a good story point in in doing that because the question then ultimately is what is the ultimate evil is it these demons is it the cult or is it just society at large celebrity Um, culture um, capitalism there's all sorts of interesting themes i guess uh, i mean in terms of chronicles of darkness it's very much usually rooted in um a combination of of politics uh factions and um individuals as opposed to you know having a, a kind of um the, the the film is very much a critique of that system and that world. Um, I don't know whether if your players realised that what was what you were doing, that they would feel that you were leading them through a morality play. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Hellraiser. <laughs> the classic. So, so, okay, I'll go with my first my impressions of it. So I've watched it a few times recently as well. So. Yep. I think Hellraiser's a good one on here because you really get demons that are quite more alien in nature. Um, you're, you you don't get the... You, we're now more removed from the classic kind of you know Abrahamic kind of religion depiction of demons. Uh, and we're much more into kind of the... I guess we could kind of say, that at least in the film, they're kind of the nice kind of gothic punk kind of depiction of, you know, theme to... Uh, these demons and the realm they come from is well it you get the feeling it's one of many different hells that are out there um have you seen hellraiser 2 hellbound yes because they 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 the depiction of hell in that is really interesting as a kind of a, a labyrinth and that it's got a kind of a, a weird monotony and uniformity to it that i guess pinheads um, scarification is suggestive of, um, mm. rather than uh, than being you know, kind of cackling flames and, uh, and what have you, being something that's very ordered. Um, They're definitely you know demons of of like lust and and decadence um, in that sense because they're they're looking for ever more ever more uh, more experiences and pleasures of the flesh that they can they can hopefully sate their their thirst on but well there's a line to. i can't remember if it's um uh in the first or second film but angels to some demons to others um yeah so um because it's it's based on clive barker's mythology and clive barker although later in his work um draws on notions of good and evil earlier on it was much more um amoral um, yeah, and so that idea that for some people becoming a cenobite was an end in itself. It wasn't a punishment. It was a form of transcendence. Um, and even Frank, if you recall from um, uh, the famous scene in the first film where he's ripped apart by hooks and says Jesus wept, um, mm. and, and kind of licks his lips in a kind of like as though he's had the most amazing experience imaginable. Um, so in that respect. Whilst I love Hellraiser, I'm not sure whether it quite fits. I think there's elements you can take from it, like obviously the puzzle box and different types of rituals, and obviously Frank's escape from hell is maybe interesting as an example, possibly for how a 
maybe looking at a demon how it uh, escapes maybe frank is more of an example of a larval that's escaping a dominion uh in geist of sin eaters um so the larval didn't get sent to hell it got sent to it got sent to a part of the underworld um and so you know the way his body gets rebuilt and in that wonderful visceral um reverse uh stop stop motion animation uh it's an incredible so scene so that's kind of fun um <laughs> I, I guess i actually think maybe hellraiser 2 is also yeah Thanks. i also like i was also gonna say i think not hellraiser 3 that's actually the poor one it's hellraiser 4 isn't it which is which is uh what's hellraiser 4 hellraiser 4 is the one across um different um timelines timelines and so yeah it goes from the creation of the puzzle box to a space station and that's interesting because we kind of maybe getting on to kind of a god machine chronicles kind of feel there maybe so you know i guess you could plunder it for that i mean hellraiser 2 um the 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 kind of lord of hell or god of hell leviathan is a weird black geometric shape that that um, has uh, rays of um, of dark light that sweep out over the labyrinth, um, and I think that if you want inspiration for the God Machine and what, what the God Machine could be, that is a, a fantastic example. And I think that if you look at the artwork from the God Machine Chronicles, you know the, the kind of twisted serpentine tower of an eye, mm. it really reminded me of that. So. I guess if you're interested in maybe using Inferno and combining it with God Machine, then Hellraiser will be perfect. It could be an example of demons that have finally done the the descent. You know, they they've descended or they've descended somewhere and then start coming back for more. Um, or the be... Cenobites could even be the angels of the God Machine. They'd be very good for the angels of the God Machine. Or if you tone them down a bit, they could be a very interesting cult. So yes. if you if you if you tone down the flesh crafting, <laughs> um, they'd be an interesting cult, but still with the whole pleasures of pain and and so forth. There's a really um, interesting one of the um, later sequels, um, which is called um, Hellraiser Deader. Which is oh my god, worst worst names. Ones. Yeah, um, but it's actually got a really interesting concept um, in that um, people have found a way. It's like a kind of pleasure cult, but they found a way to cheat death so that they don't die um, and and can't be taken to hell. And um, my research, because uh, I actually wrote um, uh, a an encyclopedia article on the Cenobites, and my research into um, those films is that some of the later Hellraiser films were actually initially conceived as independent horror films that couldn't get funded. <laughs> so they, they twisted them to make them fit with the Hellraiser mythos, and and that was a way of getting them made. Um, but you know, potentially um, a cult that's found a way to take from demons without giving back—that that's not upholding its uh, its side of the the bargain or the pact—could be a, a, an interesting C group. Um, random idea that I'm going to go with, uh, which you can take from Hellraiser. If you want to use the puzzle boxes and you want to use more puzzle boxes that represents each type of sin so they open up so maybe they open up gateways to different parts of hell um is the puzzle boxes are have different shapes 
because of course you could you could relate the nine circles of hell to uh, platonic solids. So you know a, a tetrahedron followed by an octahedron, a cube. Obviously we've got etc etc etc, and that would be kind of cool because then you've got an item that looks has an e each has a different kind of feel for each demon type. I um, think th I think that that would work really well, but I think that for the majority of the players in in Chronicles of Darkness who are probably familiar with Hellraiser in some way, you would want to change it enough that that people didn't kind of get jarred mm -hmm. out of the experience and think, oh, this is Hellraiser. Um, so if you could find ways when they open it of something happening that subverted their expectations, you get, I guess you could do some combination with like Hellraiser mixed with um, a bit of you know the um chaos gods to add a bit of difference because actually hellraiser would you could always look at um realms of darkness one and the and the uh, the chaos books that they used they did the realms of chaos books um i'm sure you get a lot of fun out of reading the um the slanesh book for ideas for uh for um inferno um weirdly the 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 uh the Chaos Gods, thinking about it, the only two that really lend themselves, uh, at least at, at first glance, to Inferno and to Sins are Slanesh and Corn. Um, you could almost sure. say that Zinch could potentially be related to greed, greed, knowledge, pride, um, and uh Nurgle is maybe possibly sloth. Yeah, sloth would work. Um, um and what's the other one? What's the other sin I'm trying to think of? Gluttony? Mm, potentially, yeah. But I, mean, uh, I don't know. Even though the um the great unclean one is obese, it's not clear that it's because it's been eaten or I think it's because it's so bloated with gases. Yeah. As it's decaying. Cool. Uh, we got two more. So, Rosemary's Baby. Oh, this is simple, really. I mean, it's a good example of a cult and the the idea. I mean, again, this whether this is really a, a story type thing to you, uh, a concept or a story to play through for a band of mortals who are trying to help someone, or is it the prelude to something and it's your background material to a cult and the the chosen. Uh, you know, the and the child of the devil type thing. I mean, could you could you have it as a character who um, approaches the the player characters, or is even one of the player characters who lost the child, and um, there's a sense of, of of they were told that the, the child had died, but didn't believe it, and they yeah. had these nightmares um, that something else had happened, and so that could be quite a, a strong plot hook. Or you could, or you could be the the child, and this is the story that's revealed through a series of flashbacks. Yes. So um, you learn about again. This uh, I guess maybe links to some of the the revelation in Mummy um, that you learn about how you came to be, um, and in doing so, realize what you are and what that might mean for you. Yeah. Um, and I guess Rose from his baby kind of also then ties in with the last one on our list, which is House of the Devil. Um, do you want to talk about House of the Devil? So I think that it, 
really, if you want to go down um, the demonic pact route, the cult route, I think that the atmosphere of dread created by a house of the devil is one of the best in cinema. Um, I think that for all the problems that you listed with regards to um, Rosemary's baby and starry eyes, um, it, it might be problematic. I, I think that it would actually lend itself if we're going down the route of mortal. So the idea is someone is called to be the babysitter at, um, at a, um, uh, a home and um, is, um, takes on the job and comes to realize there's something awful going on in the house. Um, you could potentially have that as the seed for a one shot. Yes. Um, with then the friends of the person who's in the house, if she calls them and says, something's happening, I've lo I'm locked in, can you, I, I need help. Um, and they then have to um, get to the house, find a way in, try to figure out what's going on, try to get her out of harm's way. I think that um, in that respect, House of the Devil is brilliant source material, but <laughs> maybe then be a springboard into um, uh, an ongoing chronicle. Maybe you know, that was one particular call to all over the country. Um, the other thing I'll say, and obviously it's a major feature and why this is a good one. And again, it fits with one shots and stuff, or maybe flashbacks. And again, fits with Rosemary's Baby, is because of the way it's the the way it's been filmed, like uh, with um, the type of cameras that were used and just all the right cues. Is that House of the Devil really looks like the time for looks like it's filmed from the time that it's set in. And it really picks up all the classic kind of 80s horror kind of cues. Yeah, a friend of mine said that it looked like um, uh, uh, a long lost discovered classic um, from 1980s horror cinema. And I, I, I think that they they managed to make it feel very much of the time. It, it slipped into kind of self-referentiality or it, it takes itself very, very seriously. Mm. It's a very straight horror film. Um, and you know, it, it's all the more effective for it. So, um, we finished covering all the films and talking about. Inferno, um, the World of Darkness, uh, Chronicles of Darkness book. So, remarks on David. Um, I think we're pretty happy that Inferno is still a very um, relevant book for Chronicles of Darkness, um, given that it's a new edition, there's been rules changes, but I don't think there's too much to be done if you wanted to update and make use of that book in current games. I would agree entirely. I, I still think it's one of the best books that they've put out. Um, I think there may be for making a second edition, especially in light of uh, the God Machine and the mythology that that's brought in, if they wanted to try and find a way in which um, they could connect the two. Um, but I think it also works fine as is, as its own self-contained um, realm of horror. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it will definitely be something they should look at if well, once they um once uh, Geist of Sinita's second edition is out, because I think that 
every time we see one of these game books come out, it gives you more clues on how you can make modifications to the previous edition to update it. I think Geist is perhaps the closest, and we we covered that when we were talking about the the possessed, um, and perhaps depending upon how in, in Geist they they uh, treat certain you know ghostly creatures and how they treat anchors, that might be also again a um, there might be an option of playing a character which is actually a ghost because in Geist that kind of would make sense. You could have you know other character types being ghosts, so that would be fantastic. That, that that could be an idea of how to how they treat anchors might be a good way on how you treat like malpraxis and all these uh, all these other bits which make up um, you know the demons of the inferno. Uh, but ultimately, you know, demon. There's there's more than enough rules in all the in, in all the Chronicles of Darkness books as it is to run uh, immaterial spirits. So you know, spirits of the Hissel, spirits of uh, that appearing mage from the astral realm. So running demons using some rule set even now is not impossible. Uh, I think the main the main uh, task for a storyteller is really presenting demons in a story in a way that's interesting. I think for us, it's they're more interesting as being that, being more of a puppet master and unseen threat, not, you know, oh, look, it's a Cenobite walking around killing people. Absolutely. I think it's it's much more interesting to see demons as forces that find uh, moral weakness, whether it be in a vampire, uh, a mage, uh, or an ordinary mortal, and push them towards... Uh, the various sins that they may be um, most susceptible to rather than um, the the kind of greater demon of corn, bloodthirster, flames, etc. I think that they're much more interesting as an insidious enemy. Mm. So um, then to wrap up, um, people getting in contact with us uh, via the usual routes of uh, darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Uh, they can also contact us on Twitter at Darker Days Radio. We have a Facebook page, we have a Google Plus page, we have the blog. Um, then, David, they can get in contact with you uh, and find out about events and book reviews and interviews at Twisted Tales. So yes, you- there's the, we've got the blog, uh, the Facebook account, and we're on Twitter at MoreJackanori. Mm-hmm. And then um, if people are also interested in other things, obviously there's our friends at uh, Midnight Express um, and also at Full Metal RPG because they've now got a a proper website up and running. Um, And is there anything else coming up, David, events-wise that's worth um, hearing about? Yes, I've just put together the first event uh, in the Midlands for Twisted Tales, which is going to be an evening of ghost stories at Keel Hall. That's going to take place on Monday, 21st of November uh, from 7.30 till 9.30 p.m. Uh, it's going to be in the tradition of M.R. James prior to Christmas. Um, we're going to have three authors uh, give readings uh, of about 15 minutes each, followed by a panel discussion about ghost stories and a Q&A with the audience. And the authors we have are Stephen Volk, who's the BAFTA-winning writer of Ghostwatch, Afterlife and The Awakening, and the author of the award-nominated novella, Whitstable. We've got Helen Marshall, author of the World Fantasy Award and Shirley Jackson Award-winning collection, Gifts for the One Who Comes After, and Timothy Jarvis, author of 
the Wanderer. And uh, I'll be comparing night and, and asking the question. So I hope to see a few listeners there. Great. Well, I think that's everything for this show. Um, yeah, I think that's it. So um, thank you for listening and good night. Good night. <laughs>